0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: Well, hey, everybody.
1: Hi, podcast
0: listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. I was recently in Mexico City speaking at the World Congress of Families, and a priest came up to me and handed me a letter that I want to share with our podcast listeners. I have not yet shared this with you, Wendy.
1: I know. it's funny.
0: <laughs> and I've been waiting to share it with you. It's written in beautiful calligraphy. His name is Father Sergio. And he also gave me a gift to give to you, Wendy, that I haven't yet given to you. So you're going to receive it. This is it.
1: exciting. You're
0: going to receive it right on the podcast. Okay. And since Father Sergio is such a faithful listener of this podcast, he's out there, and I wanted him to hear your reaction to this gift.
1: That's really neat. So I'm going
0: to read his letter, and then I'll share the gift that he gave me to give to you. Okay. Christopher and Wendy. Uh, Well, actually, he says, My dear Christopher and Wendy, it's a great pleasure for me to write this letter with the hope of handing it personally to Christopher tomorrow at the World Congress of Families, which he did. You must know that I traveled from my hometown only with the hope of meeting Christopher personally, as I am a devoted and faithful listener of your podcast. I must also tell you that I admire you both, and that I have been very blessed and enriched by all you have shared in the podcast. It has helped me in my own spiritual life and in my priestly ministry, both in giving counsel to souls and in preaching. I thank you for such great service and example of evangelization. Your own testimonies of genuine faith are definitely the most powerful element of your ministry. I'm particularly delighted when Christopher starts with his hot air balloon theology. (laughs) (laughs) He says, you do know how to fly. My mind was simply blown away at a recent episode, number 188, he notes where you commented on the relationship of the altar with the marriage bed. And what could I say of Wendy's beautiful, deep and tender insights here, Christopher, allow me a piece of advice. When Wendy starts, just let her go. (laughs) (laughs) The, The way the two of you compliment each other is simply fantastic. I could go only no ni known, as Christopher says. <laughs> Isn't that funny that yeah. he remembers th- yeah. that I say this yeah. occasionally? Okay. I could go only no known, as Christopher says, but it's late and my body is letting me know. All of this goes just to thank you, to congratulate you, to wish all of God's graces upon you and your family. With love, receive my priestly blessing, Father Sergio. And with mm-hmm. love, he gave me this gift to give to you, and put out your hands, close your eyes, and you will get a big, fat, honkin' surprise. Here you go, Wendy.
1: Okay, something's in my hand. Oh, looks like a reliquary.
0: It is. It's a second-class relic of St. Therese. That's a piece of her habit. Oh,
1: my goodness. Look at that. Oh, thank you, Father Sergio. I've never been given such a beautiful gift. Isn't that special? Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: a little piece of the little flower's habit. Because oh, he knows your middle name is Teresa.
1: It is. I am named for the little flower. That's really beautiful. Isn't that special? Oh, I'm just going to give it a little kiss.
0: <laughs> thank you, Father <laughs> Sergio. I knew that would bless my wife's heart. And I, I wanted to... You to hear her reaction in real time to it. So, Thanks. thank you, Father Sergio. Thank that you was so a real much. blessing.
1: You have some updates about the TOB Institute.
0: I do. We have a couple courses coming up. We have uh, in person, we have Theology of the Body and the Interior Life coming up in November. And there may be one or two spots left on that course. It's pretty full. Uh, we also have theology of the body and the new evangelization in person coming up in the first week of January. There's some other online courses. Uh, the Marian mystery course—it's my favorite. It's my favorite course. I know to teach all about the glories of Mary and the incarnation in her womb. Um, we are offering that online for Advent, mm-hmm. so. Once Advent starts, we're going to launch our Marian Mystery Course online. So check all those out in the link in the show notes. And don't forget, we're going to keep reminding you, next October 2023, Wendy and I are leading a pilgrimage to France, speaking of the Little Flower. It's going to be themed on the connection between Theology of the Body and the Little Way of St. Therese. And we're going to be taking a cruise starting in Paris. Actually, if you want to start with us, we'll begin in Lourdes and then we'll go to Paris. Lourdes is an extension. If you want to do the shorter version, we just begin in Paris. We we travel on the Seine River on a, a cruise boat, a river cruise. We'll have the whole boat to ourselves, just our pilgrimage group. Mm. And we're going to be making lots of stops along the way. Check out the whole itinerary by clicking the link in the show notes and We'd love to have you along on that pilgrimage.
1: Absolutely. Are you ready for a question from a patron?
0: Let's do it.
1: Our first question is from Josh.
0: Thank you, Josh, so much for being a patron. So grateful for your ongoing support of our ministry. And uh, Josh, I hope you're taking advantage of all of the ongoing formation that we offer our patrons. And if anybody out there would like to become part of our patron community and get this ongoing formation, you can click the link in the show notes to learn more.
1: Josh says, I'm a young-ish man in his early 30s who, while discovering and learning about TOB over the past year or so, has been through a legal divorce and the complete annulment process.
0: Bless you, brother. That's painful, but I hope also healing in some regard.
1: I've been discerning the vocation that God is calling me to in some way ever since. So far, I'm convinced that will be marriage and family while supporting them financially through work and faithfully through ministry activity at my church. I'm working on developing my relationship with Christ and learning to trust him more. To exercise that trust, I deleted all dating apps and am not actively pursuing anyone in particular besides God. Instead, I'm focusing on volunteering for ministry opportunities and attending young adult Catholic singles events. I also completed TOB 1 online and attended TOB 2 in the first week of October. Oh, great. Essentially, I'm putting myself in situations where I will at least be surrounded by people that share my Catholic faith and values, and if God wills it, may meet my future spouse. So my question is simple. Am I doing this right
0: Oh, bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Oh, I, I just hear I hear a, a beautiful cry of your heart in that simple question. And yeah, it's it's a beautiful cry. You it's so clear, so evident, you want to be doing the Lord's will. Um, and you're you're seeking that. I I don't know that I feel qualified to give some definitive answer. Are you doing this right? I just want to affirm the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your desire to do the Lord's will, and brother, that's how we do it right, with that sincerity. Mm. Um, If you're asking, you know, a practical question about, do I think it's wise if you want to be married to just live your life and delete all those dating apps and, and, and just have a an attitude of, hey, if the Lord wants to bring a woman into my life, it's going to happen in the normal course of the events of my life. Brother, that's the way uh, human beings have met and married for, for eons, long before the internet ever came along. I'm certainly not opposed to people using uh, tasteful and appropriate dating apps and meeting people that way. That happens all the time, too, and the Lord works through that. But if you're looking for a little reassurance that you can remain at peace in following this path, I would say absolutely, brother, remain at peace. I think you are sincerely seeking the Lord's face, seeking his will, and he's gonna honor that. And I'd say just be at peace.
1: Yeah, I I think it's beautiful what you're doing, Josh. I actually remember meeting you at TOB2, and um so I'm grateful that you came, that um, I didn't know at the time that I met you that you were a podcast listener, but that's very fun. Um, and Josh, I just, all of this, um, I agree with Christopher, shows a real sincerity and I think a, a humility of saying, here I am, I'm in my early 30s, and I I feel some Uncertainty about this area of my life, and you're you're at an age where I think, as men or people in general, you can feel a certain pressure to kind of have it all together now. Like that threatening age of thirty, somehow it's like I should be in a certain point at yeah, that. Yeah, I'm age.
0: officially an adult now.
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a humility in saying, you know, I'm I know, I sense I'm trying to do the right things, and I I'm just looking for confirmation from someone. There's something beautiful about yeah. that—just honesty. And the only thing I would add is that um, the things from your past relationship, the you know attempted marriage that has been annulled, may surface. You know, it, maybe this isn't a time to be dwelling on that. You may have had an intense period of that with the annulment process, and just be kind of resting now, and that's fine. But but those um, memories may come up at different times. So the only thing I would just add to this is is finding avenues for particular help in healing, whether it's a a prayer ministry or a counseling ministry that you can turn to um, as that's needed, because we all go through times when we need to look at um, painful memories or maybe— Christopher and I sometimes experience a realization that, like, there's something I believe about myself, and it I shouldn't. I know it's not true, and yet where did that come from? Those kinds of things, you know, to, to be aware that that may also be part of your journey and, and looking for the resources that can help with that.
0: Bless you, Josh. You'll be in our prayers. We ask, Lord, that if it's your plan for Josh to marry and have a family— that you know where that woman is right now. We ask that that meeting would happen in your way, in your time, and their hearts would be prepared for one another. Amen. Yes.
1: Amen. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who asks What is the theology behind miscarriages and mm-hmm. stillbirths?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It seems so cruel that God would allow this, especially since. No one should be the means to an end. So even if it is so that our hearts may become more tender and open to Him, it still doesn't seem right.
0: Bless you. I, I hear the the sorrow, the pain. I don't know if you yourself have, have suffered a miscarriage or a stillbirth. It certainly raises the question, a big question, that in the end, I don't think there is a I don't think there is a, a full answer to the question about suffering, to the question about uh, innocent people suffering greatly, and how do we how do we make sense of that? I don't think we can, in the end, make sense of it. I mean, I I do believe an a uh, an approximate answer to the question where we approach something that begins to make sense is that. Evil exists because God respects our freedom, Um, but evil entering the world has had a ripple effect that leads to all kinds of suffering of innocent people, and there's a mystery here. There's a mystery here that I cannot say, here's why it is, and if you just accept this, everything will be fine. Well, no, suffering is brutal. Suffering, in the end, it, the Church uses the phrase, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of evil, and suffering is always connected with, with evil in one way or another. But I, I have quoted this before on the podcast, and it brings me comfort in addressing this question of suffering and evil and its existence. John Paul II says in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, that The idea that God is love would be false if God himself did not bear our sufferings with us and for us. I take great comfort in that. My life has funneled me, if I could use that expression, my life, just dealing with life, dealing with sorrow, dealing with pain, dealing with evil, dealing with my own sinfulness, dealing with how my own broken humanity causes pain to the people I love. My own life, through all those experiences, has funneled me, meaning it knocks me this direction, that direction, but all aiming me towards the cross. My life points again and again and again to the mystery of the Son of God, God Himself, bearing all the suffering of the world, And I I can only find comfort in the face of all the suffering in the world by facing the crucified Christ and finding unity with him in his sufferings and finding the place where he's in union with me in mine. And so that includes, that suffering that he bore includes the horrible suffering of a mother and a father who lose a child in the womb or through a stillbirth or even later in life, you know, how many parents have suffered the loss of their children through accidents or disease or suicide or just all kinds of horrors that just make you throw up your hands and say, God, why, 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 why? Hmm. And that why came out of the very heart of Christ on the cross, Why? My God, my God, why? Why? Why have you abandoned me in this place of suffering? Mm. And so even in that cry of our heart, that why, we are united with Jesus, and He is united with us. And I'm pretty sure I I just shared this with the TOB2 students that I taught a couple weeks ago. Um, If somebody says, you should never ask why of God, your response should be, why? Because <laughs> Christ himself asked why, right? And I, I learned that. I remember my, one of my mentors, a professor who was a friend of John Paul II, the late and great Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, he used to say this. If somebody says w- you should never ask why of God, your response should be why. Why is an entirely legitimate, deeply human question. And nothing, nothing is out of bounds in in our heart in relation to God in terms of those questions of why. He can take it all, ask those questions, press into those whys. In terms of the specific question was the theology of a miscarriage or the theology of a stillbirth, uh, I, I began by attempting to say um, the theology, to, to give some answer to the theological question of why evil, right? And and in the end, we come down with God respects our freedom, and the original sin, which was the original abuse of human freedom, has caused the ripple effect of all of the suffering we've ever known in in the human race. So it goes back to that, that's one answer to the question, but I want to press in from another angle as well. You were talking about no human being should ever be a means to an end. So if that suffering um, is, is some means that God is using to open up the parents to, to stretch their hearts or, or trust more in the Lord's very confusing will, which can be confusing, right, uh, that would be an injustice to, to have that child just be a means to that end, and I agree. It would be an injustice because no human being is merely a means to an end. So there must be something much richer, much deeper. That child who may have only existed for a few weeks or a few months in this world and then died through miscarriage, that child, nonetheless, and even we could say all the more so, was chosen by God from eternity. When sperm meets egg, it is not merely a biological process. It is a theological mystery. God himself is infusing the living soul into that meeting of the sperm and the egg. Mm. There, is, there is a person here chosen by God from eternity and for eternity. And for reasons we cannot comprehend, and I don't even think we should try to comprehend, because in the end, we can't comprehend. For reasons beyond comprehension, God has chosen to call that person, even if only after a few weeks of earthly existence, God has chosen to call that person home to him. And it may well be, I mean, who knows? I'm just venturing a thought. It may well be so that the parents could have intercessors on the other side that they will need. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. Mm. But that child, if we, take, if we take merely a temporal perspective, then really all, we're con- all we can conclude is this has left the parents in abject suffering, and, and it's almost inexcusable, God, why would you ever do such a thing? But if we take an eternal perspective, God wanted that child to exist, and that child would not have the opportunity to exist without the union of his parents, without the love of his parents coming together. That child now is participating in the life of the Trinity. That is a beautiful, glorious thing to to contemplate and to know that this life— what do we get? 70, 80, maybe 90 years. That is a blip that is gone in the blink of an eye and a snap of the fingers from the perspective of eternity. And these parents who have suffered so greatly, their suffering will be rewarded with eternal joy that they are now participating with that son or daughter in the bliss of the Trinitarian love. That's the destiny. That's where it goes. That suffering will will turn into joy, and the mourning will turn into dancing. That is the promise of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is very hopeful indeed. It doesn't eliminate the suffering in this life, but it does give that suffering a direction, a, a destiny, a hope that it will become joy and dancing.
1: Hmm. I feel a great reverence for all the people listening who have experienced this suffering, especially if it is very fresh right now. Um, and I can just share from our, that we are not aware of ever having experienced a miscarriage. Clearly it could happen early enough that a person wouldn't even know, but yeah,
0: we were just having a conversation, uh, a couple nights ago, we were out with friends for dinner, and mm-hmm. and we were just together. Imagine they have had some miscarriages, and we, we together as couples, we were reflecting. Geez, how how many babies that we may may have that we don't even know that we'll meet on the right. other side,
1: right? Um, in my my family, I grew up in my parents. Uh, did have a stillborn, their very first baby, and because. It was so far along. She was really two weeks from being due. Um, she was born. I know she was a sister. She has a grave. She's, you know, buried. that's that's a gift for me in the sense of knowing this is a member of my family. Um, and uh, yeah, that I often all growing up thought of her. Uh, in heaven, and my father died when I was seven. The thought of them reunited mm, was mm. just a beautiful gift. So that that sense of feeling our bond with with heaven is an aspect of a gift. I'm not saying that it answers why, but it is, it is something that increases our longing to be there with them, our longing to be in the eternal and not here. Um, and yet, we have to trust the Lord has knows the length of each of our lives, and it is all in His purposes. Um, and there's a there's a great example of that. I don't know if any of our listeners are aware of the um, book that was written, "Heaven Is for Real," by a Protestant man whose son um, died in surgery and uh, then was resuscitated, but had experiences of heaven. This young boy who did not know that his parents had had a miscarriage before he was born met this mm. older sister in heaven. Um, so that was part of the testimony that really impacted this um, Protestant couple to know wow. the reality of heaven, because this Young boy was telling them about his sister um, that had been a miscarried baby. So I think that's just, just a part of just the encouragement of the the truth of what we believe about the in, eternal life and uh, the deep bond that is our family. That it doesn't we don't lose that um, in eternity.
0: I'm moved, Wendy, by your just that welling up of reverence for those who have very fresh sufferings in their life, and it reminds me of something else I learned from my professor and mentor, Monsignor Albacetti. I remember he told the story of, of meeting a woman who did a lot of work uh, relieving the sufferings of, of famine victims in Africa, and she had a conversation with Monsignor once, in which she she didn't know if she believed in God—this was not a Catholic ministry she was part of, this was just a secular effort to relieve the suffering of famine victims—but she saw so much suffering, so many children died in her arms. And she said very vulnerably to Monsignor once, if God does exist, I hate him.
1: Mm.
0: And Monsignor said, relaying that story to me, he said, what can you do in that situation but just show reverence for such agony and pain? Mm. To offer some, you know, theological explanation would, in that situation, or try to defend God in that situation to this woman who's just Expressing abject suffering, uh, he said, "We we just we we Christians can be too quick to try to give answers. Mm. God can defend Himself, and in the end, God will show His love to this woman, as He will reveal His love to everyone in one way or another. And and but that's not to us. To, that's not for us to to try to." play God in that situation or defend God in that situation. It's for us to be a witness to what Christ himself does. He enters in. He enters into that cry. He enters into that suffering. That's the mystery of the cross. Uh, and I, I, take, I take great comfort. I take great comfort in that. I, I don't know where else to go with my suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, I take it to the cross. I take it to the one who suffers with me, and I find communion there. And I I pray that for everyone listening, we all have suffering in our lives. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us to find you in it, because you're there. You've already united yourself with us in our sufferings, and help us to show reverence for those who are suffering so greatly and and not to give quick or ready-made theological answers but just to show reverence. Mm-hmm. Amen.
1: Amen. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hi Christopher and Wendy. You've shown such tender compassion and prudent wisdom in answering the questions of my fellow listeners. I am a newlywed and I'm surprised by how quickly my insecurities have surfaced. Mm. I've refused to have relations with the lights on. Hmm. Although my husband has never said anything unkind about my body, Hmm. I still fear rejection, or rather not being delighted in or being seen as a good gift. I feel like God is probably calling me to leave the lights on. But what I'm wondering is if I should tell my husband about my anxieties beforehand i would be deeply hurt if my fear was realized however i wonder if i will believe he's genuine if he's forewarned do you have any suggestions on how i can open up my heart for healing
0: oh bless you bless you oh man it goes deep It goes so deep, the cry of the heart to be seen and loved and received as we are. And we live in a world that is set up to cause us pain here. Mm -hmm. And this is not abstract pain for you and for me, Wendy. This -hmm. is pain we have both known and inflicted because of the world we've been raised in and our our own bad choices and the way we've been formed to to think. Um, Mercy, I I would say to this dear sister, uh, first, I I know that that pain, that yearning, that fear, that insecurity, uh, and I invite you to, before you open it to your husband— and I do think eventually you should. But before you do that, you should open it to Jesus and and enter into prayerful conversation with Jesus about this insecurity. And, and here, if, if that's an unfamiliar thought, or maybe you might think, well, what is, how do I hear Jesus talk to my heart about this? I don't know how to Bring this to Jesus. I would I would invite you to just write out in a journal, maybe as if you're writing a letter to Jesus, to share your heart with him just as you've shared it with us. I feel so honored that you put this in the light with us. Mm -hmm. Share it with Jesus just as you've shared it with us. And then take a step out in faith of listening. And every time I do this in my own journaling, almost every time, I have the voice initially of the cynic, where I'm like, okay, all right, I'll listen, I don't think you're really going to speak, I don't think I'm going to hear anything, but okay, I'll listen. This just happened a couple nights ago, I was in prayer, and I'm like, okay, I'll ask you what you think (laughs) about this, I poured out my heart to you, I don't think you're going to say anything. And man, he showed up and spoke to my heart in a way I could hear. Mm-hmm. And and now I've been I've been doing this for for decades of really trying to listen. So there is kind of a a tuning in where you learn to listen in a way that, okay, I can recognize that as as the voice of the Lord speaking to my heart. If you, if that's new territory for you, again, write out your heart to the Lord, write out all your fears, all your insecurities, just as you feel them, without censoring them, without editing them, in whatever language comes to your your heart to express it in, express it to the Lord just as you feel it. And then I'd invite you to put your pen down and quiet your heart. Say, Lord, I've poured out my heart to you. Now I want to listen. I believe you want to pour out your heart to me. And in the stillness, in the quiet, perhaps you'll have a memory. Perhaps you'll have a memory that takes you back to childhood of the first time that you saw a magazine cover at the grocery store and this quote-unquote perfectly shaped woman on the cover of a magazine and a lie got placed in your heart I'm not lovable unless I look like that. So it could be a memory, something like that. It could be a song. You could hear a lyric from a song. It could be a scene from a movie that left an impression. It could be just stillness and quiet, but the realization in that stillness and quiet that I'm enveloped in love mm. as I am, that every hair on my head is known, and not just my head, <laughs> but every hair on my body is known and loved and seen, and I am known and loved and seen. And, and to be known, to be seen, is, is vulnerable because all those fears and all those insecurities can well up all over again. The healing comes not by pretending those fears and insecurities don't exist, but by walking into them, even feeling those insecurities, and being met with the gaze of love. Jesus, I know, wants to meet you dear sister, in that place of insecurity with his gaze of love. The more you remain in that gaze of knowing you are loved by your true bridegroom, Jesus Christ, by your true bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the more you rest in that, the more you know it, the more it informs you and transforms you and brings peace and healing to those fears and insecurities, like oil poured on a wound. The more you are in that place, the more you live from that place, the more ready you are now to to turn to your husband and put this in the light with him. Will he have a perfect response? I don't know your husband. I don't know what his wounds are. I don't know what his formation is. I don't know what has shaped or misshaped his own thinking on these matters i know that when i entered married life my my brain was so warped by the way the world had formed and shaped me and i was already i was on the journey of being reshaped by the lord but oh man oh man i i really underestimated how how deep the misshaping of my mind and heart had had been and i was running in in our marriage to ways this was causing you pain, Wendy, and your pain was like a mirror that I had to look into to say, wow, where is this coming from? How did I get so screwed up in my thinking? And that put me on a journey that I'm still on 27 years later, still on the journey, made a lot, a lot of progress. There's great hope in our marriage there is great, has been great healing in our marriage, but yes. it would be ridiculous for us to say we've arrived and we don't have any issues to look at. That's nonsense in this life. There's always more to look at. There's always more healing because the crap goes deep. <laughs> it goes deep. So we, we, to look at that honestly as a couple, I can say this for certain. Your husband does not love you perfectly because <laughs> he's a fallen human being. So there will be hurts. There there is reason for insecurity because your husband's not perfect. And he's got his own list of issues and wounds and and everything else that, that can and will hurt you one way or the other. The only way, this is our experience as husband and wife, the only way we can look at that together honestly and put that real pain in the light is if we are, are standing on the foundation that we are, we are perfectly loved by the Lord and we can grow in that love as husband and wife. But the foundation is, I know I'm already loved as I need to be loved by the Lord. And, and there is also a complementarity of male and female here, the the woman needs in a particular way to know she is unconditionally and perfectly loved by a bridegroom, and that's Jesus. And the man needs to know that he is perfectly and unconditionally known and loved by a bride, and that's Mary. Mary is the bride of the Bible, right? God is the bridegroom, humanity is the bride, and that bride is personified in Mary. And guys, your wife is not going to love you perfectly. Your wife is not going to understand all the intricacies and wounds and pains and needs of your heart perfectly. But Mary does. And and my dear sisters, your husband is not going to love you perfectly. He's he's going to stumble. He's he's going to hurt you in ways that he, he may not be intentional about it. God willing, he's not trying to be a jerk in your life, but despite his best efforts, he's going to hurt you because he's wounded. But there is a bridegroom who knows you, who knows all your fears, knows all your insecurities, and sees you and delights in your beauty, and wants to share the love that he has for you in a way that you can receive it. That is the foundation for both a husband and a wife, not knowing they are perfectly loved by the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus and Mary, that becomes the foundation on which we can stand with security, with an underlying security, to look at our insecurities with one another, to look at our wounds with one another, to look at our hurts with one another, and to open them to that perfect love and grow more deeply in that perfect love.
1: I'd just like to say um, to those who are listening who are maybe... You know, experiencing some anxiety. What what will marriage be like? This is sounding frightening somehow. Yeah. Um, I also want to affirm that there's nothing going wrong in this marriage. That the very um, comment, I'm surprised by how quickly my insecurities have surfaced, which this questioner included. I just. I want to tell you that this isn't a sign you've done anything wrong in your marriage prep, in your, um, you know, giving yourselves to one another as a married couple. This is part of the natural journey of marriage for all of us who are, you know, striving to live according to the way that we're designed by God. There's something very just true about when you are opening yourself up in marriage, that you're not only revealing your body, but your heart is, no, you know, you're experiencing new things in your body, you're experiencing new things in your heart. What I want you to know, is so is your husband. Mm-hmm. And
0: indeed, I can vouch for that.
1: And it might be good just to take a step back and, and recognize that rather than kind of zooming in on lights on or off, and what will that do to me you know as the bride to just step back a little bit and and invite your husband into just a conversation reflecting on kind of what has what has stirred in his life in being a, a newly wed and experiencing marital union with you just to, to open up that whole topic as one that you want to reflect on together and to expect that it's going to be a journey that takes place in stages and that they're unique to the two of you because you're unique human beings. But to, you know, I I wouldn't say this without, you know, it being part of a fruit of prayer and all that you described about answering her question, how can I open up my heart for healing? I think you took her step by step but through that so beautifully, I'm just adding another piece into yeah. it in terms of rather than how do I have this conversation and have it have the desired effect, really what your your conversation should be a mutual sharing about the vulnerability and the new places that are being revealed in your own hearts and minds and memories and hopes and all of that through being married. That's part of the grace of your sacrament. Colin, the grace of your sacrament. Have those naked conversations that are definitely an expression of marital union. You know, I'll share this with our listeners. There have been times in our marriage when we thought we were going to Um, be joined in the marital embrace, and one of us has had something to share that was a deep place in our hearts. Yeah, This has been for either one of us, and in the end of that conversation, our sense has been, that is our union.
0: Yeah, we already made love. For
1: today, that is, you know, that's... We were
0: as naked as naked could be. Right,
1: through sharing our hearts verbally, and that's not the you know that's just an example that we've experienced the deep bond that that brings about we know it's grace flowing we know it's our deep vulnerability giving ourselves to one another through sharing that
0: yeah amen uh, i i couldn't agree more with you Wendy about that that need for also recognizing your husband is going through similar things marriage is crazy vulnerable, mm-hmm. and it's meant to be, and it takes a lifetime. Thank God marriage is a commitment for life, because it takes a lifetime to really get naked, and there, there there, are deeper and deeper layers of nakedness, and it's an ongoing journey. Um, and I, I want to speak also to what you said, Wendy. I think you were very wise in recognizing there may be unmarried people out there are like looking ahead like, oh my gosh, what, what (laughs) is it? When you find the person that you are meant to make this journey with, it's the grandest of adventures. And yeah, there, it's scary. It's crazy vulnerable. But those vows allow you to go there. Do not marry someone if you don't really fully completely believe that the person you're marrying believes fully and completely in the sacredness of the vows. Because the only thing that can allow you to be as crazy vulnerable as marriage demands is the certainty, this other person will never leave me. This person is not going anywhere no matter what happens, this person is, has committed to be with me. Don't marry someone if you don't believe the person's going to take that commitment seriously. Uh, it's the only thing that gives us the assurance that we can be that naked. Uh, for, for, for that, Wendy, I am so grateful. I have never, never, not even a shred doubted that you mm-hmm. meant what you said mm-hmm. at that altar, and that has allowed me to be crazy vulnerable mm. with You, uh, and I'm so grateful, because we, yes. we need that. We need that vulnerability. We need to be that naked and know we're loved. Mm-hmm. It's the real deal. Lord, thank You for showing us the way of that naked vulnerability on the cross. You know, when when we we're kids, you know, this is not a, a uh, healthy thing altogether. Uh, it's got all kinds of things mixed in there, but there is this genuine thing going on under the surface when kids in the neighborhood are like, you know, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. It's it's a yearning to be seen, right? It's a yearning to be received. It's a yearning to reveal yourself. But in that whole dynamic, when the neighborhood kids, you show me yours, I'll show you mine, somebody has to go first, right? You go first. Uh, <laughs> and that, Jesus went first. That's my point. Jesus went first. He gets naked on the cross. He exposes, not only was he crucified naked, right, which was part of the whole spectacle of crucifixion, but he opens his heart. He lets his heart be split open, and he lets its real deepest contents be poured out. Thank you, Jesus, for going first and showing us what love is and what vulnerability is. Mm-hmm. Teach us how to respond by being as naked as you are with us amen Amen. well everybody thank you for joining us for another episode keep the questions coming if you've been blessed by this episode uh, share it with somebody and that always uh, helps the algorithm to to get it out all the more when when the podcast is is shared and it helps just in a practical way to get the message out there to other people We're always looking to expand our podcast family of listeners. Until next time, may you know it in your bones that you are a gift.
1: And become what you are.
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.